Chaplain Schwartz was leaning on the side of his green drab military jeep, vigilantly looking into the sky. His nervousness had caused him to become a habitual chain smoker, and dark circles under his eyes also gave testament to the many sleepless nights that he had recently suffered from. He looked all too young to be doing what he was doing. He had only graduated from the seminary a year and a half prior. He didn't see himself as the military man that his father was, and he certainly didn't think that he would end up on a military base in East Anglia, saying prayers over men who were either on death's door or walking towards it. Today was the first day that the boys of the 300th Bombardment Group had been sent up on a bombing mission since the extensive five-day bombing campaign known as Big Week took place. During that five-day campaign, the 300th had lost over 114 men, nine planes, and over two dozen men were recovering in the hospital from minor to severe injuries that they sustained during those missions. It had been only four days since then, and only three new crews had arrived in Thurlow to replace those numbers lost. The chaplain had spent the entire morning praying to God that the boys would all return home safely today. However, even as a religious man, he knew that the chances of this happening were very slim. The boys had been sent to bomb a concrete plant in Frankfurt, Germany, and due to the high losses, the 300th were only able to send up 15 planes instead of the usual 18 to 20. The chaplain's face was beet red from the 29 degree cold air that seemed to be scraping against his skin. He was born and raised in Dallas, Texas and was still not used to the cold winters that the English had. His thin frame made it very difficult for him to keep warm and most days he gave up trying to get warm and stay warm and today seemed to be one of those days. The chaplain looked down from the sky at the airfield that was before him. He was parked in front of the two main aircraft hangars that sat on the west side of the airfield. He parked here because he knew that the formation of returning bombers would be heading in from the east, and he wanted to be ready for when the planes came in. Around him were a few dozen grounds crewmen made up of engineers, crew chiefs, and mechanics, but not a single one of them was uttering a word. The only thing that could be heard were the sounds of the cold air rushing past them and the sounds of a football being thrown off in the distance. The men kept quiet because they were listening for the sound of roaring engines to appear, to let them know that their planes were coming in. The lack of chatter was also due to the anxiety that all the men felt, mainly because each time their boys and their planes were up, there was always a chance that they wouldn't come back. A mechanic's worst nightmare is to find out that a crew member was killed due to a mechanical failure that happened to them in the air or that their beloved plane and crew didn't return home because of a mechanical issue that resulted in them falling out of formation and getting helplessly picked off by the Germans. It was a stressful job that often required the grounds crewmen to go many dates with little to no sleep. The bomber boys relied on these men to keep their planes in the air. And because of that, there was no time for gimmicks or tomfoolery. Suddenly, all hearts began to beat faster as a slight humming sound began to appear. The sound was so faint that the chaplain even wondered if he was imagining it. He looked down at his watch and saw that it was just five minutes till two o'clock. This only confirmed that he wasn't imagining the sound, although he was worried that the formation was running 11 minutes behind. Some of the grounds crewmen had binoculars and they were scoping the sky for planes. The problem was, 
was that since there were five other bomber bases within a 20-mile radius of them, one of which was just 12 miles to the south, there were a lot of planes flying in their direction, and they didn't know exactly which one were theirs. However, within seven minutes, the formation belonging to the 300th had appeared over the airfield. Judging by the amount of planes that the men could count, only 12 had made it back to base. The chaplain knew that the others could have fallen behind due to battle damage, or they made emergency landings at airfields closer to the English coast. But he also knew the cold hard truth, that there was a possibility that the lead plane of the formation had already reported to the tower of which planes were shot down and not returning home. And if that were the case, then right now, as the planes were coming into land, the beds of the men who were lost were being stripped, being cleaned, and all of their personal effects were being stored up and taken away, erasing all evidence that they ever existed. The formation of these four-engine heavy bombers flew just a thousand feet over the tarmac, and after they passed over the airfield, each one of them turned to the left and began a circling pattern, waiting for their moment to land. Those with wounded aboard were the first ones to get priority to come down, and the plane with wounded aboard not only had to call into the tower to let them know, but they had to shoot off a red flare to signal the paramedics that when they got to the ground that they would need medical attention. The chaplain watched the bombers passing overhead and begin their circling pattern. He looked down at the southern end of the airfield where a convoy of ambulances and fire trucks were sitting, waiting for the planes to come in and to land. He also looked off to his right at a large group of fellow airmen who congregated around the hangar to watch their friends and comrades return. The chaplain could see a look of worry and fear that each man had on his face. Even the rookies, who had not flown a mission yet, looked terrified. The air was now full of engine hums, men shouting tail numbers, plane nicknames, code words, and casual chatter. The chaplain stood up straight and proceeded to walk to his driver's seat of his jeep and hopped in and looked over at a few grounds crewmen who were standing close by him. Three of the men knew exactly what the chaplain's actions meant as they reacted by heading towards the jeep and hopped in with them. For about five minutes, the chaplain and the three scruffy oil stain mechanics waited patiently for the first plane to come and make a landing. Suddenly, they heard a few men shouting, Here they come! Here they come! The chaplain looked to the southern end of the airfield, over by where the ambulances were sitting, and saw an older B-17 coming in to land. He was heading to land at runway 2, which ran from the southeast end of the airfield to the northwest end of the airfield. This meant that the plane would come to a full stop not far from where the chaplain was parked. He watched the plane come closer and closer to the ground, and as he looked at the plane, his heart began to sink. Even from a distance, he could see that the nose cone of the bomber was missing, and that the outboard engine on the plane's port side was dead. The plane's wheels hit the tarmac, and the bomber began to bounce up and down like a rock skipping over water. However, as the olive drab painted plane rolled down half the length of the runway, the tailwheel finally came down, and the bomber began to look like it was stable. As it got to the end of the runway, the bomber veered off to the left side and went into the grass. Judging by how fast the plane was traveling through the grass, the chaplain knew that more than likely the bomber's brakes had been damaged during the mission. 
However, as it rolled a little bit further, it came to a full stop about 80 yards in front of them. It was time for them to take action. The chaplain revved up the engine of the jeep and put the vehicle in first gear and rushed towards the wounded bird. Off in the distance, the chaplain could see and hear the ambulances heading towards them like a bat out of hell. As he came closer to the bomber, the chaplain could see several bullet holes and flag holes punched into various places on the bomber's thin metal skin. One of the largest sections of damage was to the nose section. The nose compartment had the words Blackbird painted in black and white lettering just under the navigator's desk window. Bullet holes riddled the entire nose compartment and the nose cone was completely missing. The chaplain guessed that this was due to the fact that a flak shell had exploded and taken it off. Blood covered the second window on the left side of the nose, between where the bombardier and navigator sat. There were even hand-sized sections of metal completely cut out of the plane, like someone took a knife and cut it like it was a piece of cake. The rated compartment of the plane, which sat behind the wings, was also riddled with holes, and the rated compartment window looked like it had fire damage. The air began to smell of gasoline, burnt flesh, and cordite as the chaplain pulled up to the plane. As the chaplain forced the stick into park and turned off the jeep, the grounds crewmen hopped out of the vehicle and headed towards the nose section, waiting for someone to come out of the nose hatch. When the chaplain had arrived under the plane's wing, he looked up at the damaged outboard engine and saw nothing but holes the size of his fist punched into the plane's wing and engine. He then saw the nose hatch, which sat under the cockpit on the left side of the plane, open, and an officer wearing a green drab flying suit, leather jacket, white scarf, and thick brown leather flying boots jumped from the bomber. He was wearing a Mae West floating vest and a parachute harness. The man had his head hung low, so only his flying leather helmet could be seen. Nevertheless, as he lifted up his head, the chaplain could see that the 20-year-old man's face was full of exhaustion and terror. He's all hurt. Is there anybody hurt in the nose? Asked one of the grounds crewmen. No. Don't even bother going up there. Um, I have a radio guy who's in bad shape. I have two waste gunners You need help. The men said, pointing to the waste compartment of his plane. The ambulance had arrived at the bomber, and they followed the grounds crewman who headed towards the side door of the waste compartment. The chaplain then followed suit. On the right side of the fuselage, the waste compartment door opened, and three paramedics had hopped in to assess the situation. The chaplain stood outside and prepared himself for the hell that he knew he was going to witness. He saw two grounds crewmen rush to the waste gunner's window, where they tried to lower a wounded man on a stretcher. The chaplain rushed over to help them, and as they lowered the stretcher down, he could see the scope of how bad this injury was. The man was dressed in a lot of layers of clothes, and so the wound itself could not be seen, but blood was all over him. The source of the bleeding seemed to be coming from the man's lower abdomen. The man had his right arm resting on his chest and his left arm resting on his side. Just set him down. I need to take a look at him, shouted an echoing voice from a paramedic was making his way from the inside of the plane to come out of it and check the man. The chaplain and the other two grounds crewmen lowered the man onto the ground, and the chaplain looked over 
at the man to take a look at his face. Hey, Mo, the chaplain said after recognizing him. Uh, hey, Reverend. I'd say it's nice to see you, but uh, please don't take it personal. Mo softly uttered. None taken. Hey, you mind if I pray over? The chaplain began to say, but was cut off. Please do. Mo sheepishly responded. The chaplain could see that Mo was shaking in fear. He looked so terrified that it broke his heart. He just looked so helpless. He looked to be in so much pain. So much fear was visible in his eyes. But he pushed all that out of his mind. And the chaplain then told the man to close his eyes. And as the chaplain prayed over him, he could see that the young man was shaking. And a tear began to appear on his cheek. As he finished his prayer, the paramedic had arrived at Mo and the chaplain. When the chaplain said amen, he looked up and saw the paramedic assessing the man's wound. Couldn't see a damn thing inside the plane. Let me take a look at you now. The paramedic said as he undid Moses' parachute harness and then unzipped Moses' leather flying jacket. Once he did, the blood-stained blue heated suit underneath was revealed, and before the chaplain could see anything else, he heard a voice call out from the plane. We need some help over here! The chaplain quickly got up and went over to the plane, where he saw several grounds crewmen and three paramedics all trying to lower another stretcher down from the waste gunner's window. This time, it wasn't as peaceful and gentle. The man lying on the stretcher was thrashing his body from side to side, muttering and growling in pain. The chaplain leaned in to help lower the wounded man onto the ground, but he was amazed by the amount of force the man was thrusting with every jolt to his left and then to his right. The chaplain felt like any moment the stretcher would fall off into the side, but luckily it didn't happen. Once they got the man onto the ground, the chaplain realized what was causing the wounded airman to act the way he was. There was no blood on his body, but there was around his neck and his shoulders. The blood was coming from a wound in the back of the man's head. His leather flying helmet had been removed, and the paramedic who was examining his head called out to one of the other paramedics. He's got an open fracture wound on his skull. How bad is it? asked one paramedic. Um, I can see some brain matter. We gotta get him to a hospital fast. After hearing this, the chaplain began praying over the man, putting his hand on the man's foot, which twitched and flinched. The others around him didn't seem to pay much attention to the chaplain. It was as if he didn't even exist. Before the chaplain could even finish his prayer, the paramedics and grounds crewmen lifted the man up and began carrying him towards the ambulance. The chaplain then turned his body back towards the plane and ran over to it. As he did, he heard another plane land behind him. The sound of wheels screeching as it hit the tarmac caused the chaplain to turn around to see it. The plane was named Chief, and it had a rough hand-painted painting of a Native American head, which, due to its color, made it very noticeable even from a long distance. The plane had significant damage done to its tail section, Half of its rudder was missing, and the entire right side horizontal stabilizer was gone. The chaplain knew that he had to finish up with this current plane so that he can get to the other one as soon as possible. Picking up his pace, he arrived at the waste compartment of the bomber and entered into it. The entire floor of the waste compartment was covered with empty 50 caliber shells. 
So much so that the chaplain nearly slipped trying to make his way through the plane. It was as if he was walking over ice. Once he arrived at the ball turret section, he saw two airmen, a paramedic, and one of the plane's officers standing in the radio compartment, huddled over what looked like a body on the floor. When he entered the radio room, the first thing he noticed was that the entire room smelled of burnt flesh and smoke. The walls were thick with fire damage. Looking down at what all the men were huddled around, he saw the source of the rotten flesh smell. The radio man was lying on the floor of the radio compartment, with his face facing up. His leather jacket, what was left of it, his blue heated suit, and other clothes were stripped off of him and laying underneath him. And what the chaplain saw next wanted to make him vomit. The radio man had severe third degree burns from his knees up to his neck. The skin was black and red, and his right arm was shredded. Skin was literally hanging off the man's arm, and his radius bone in his arm was exposed. The paramedic was administering a blood transfusion while one of the airmen held a lit cigarette to the radio man's mouth, taking it out every few seconds to allow the man to exhale the smoke. The chaplain didn't know what to do, so he stood behind the group of men and waited for a moment for him to make his way into the circle to quickly pray over this burnt radio man. The radio man looked young and scared. The whites in his eyes had been replaced with pools of red from the several broken blood vessels that were inside of it. His lips were chapped and cracked. He couldn't have been any older than 20 years of age, not much older than the chaplain himself. Can I help you, Padre? Asked one of the officers. I just, I wanted to pray over him, but I'll wait. The chaplain softly said, Go ahead and spray over him. No, that's okay. I'll just I'll just go in whenever you guys are all finished. What? God don't give a shit if you're standing over there? The officer viciously prodded. No. Uttered the radio man. Let him in. The officer slowly looked back at the chaplain and used his right hand to motion the chaplain to do what he had to do. One of the airmen moved to the side to let the chaplain in. The chaplain bent down over the radio man and tried not to show any signs of being nervous or ill for he did not want to embarrass the wounded soldier or worry him, for he had a lot to worry about already. What's your name? The chaplain said. Wilfred. Wilfred Kozowski. All right, the chaplain muttered as he closed his eyes and prepared himself. Dear Heavenly Father, please be with your son Wilfred today. Give him what he needs to make a full recovery. Please help to heal him. Give him the strength that he needs and help make him a witness for you and your glory. We ask that he comes to you today and that you protect him now and forevermore. Amen. The chaplain then opened his eyes and saw Wilfred with his eyes still closed. And for a second he looked to be at peace. But that peace was quickly whisked away and looks of fear and pain had returned. Wilfred opened his eyes again and muttered the words, Thank you, but no audible sound could be heard. The chaplain then made the sign of the cross on Wilfred's head, and then he stood up and faced the bitter officer. Thank you, gentlemen, the chaplain said as he then walked towards the front of the plane, having to walk past the officer. Holding out his arm, the officer blocked the chaplain from walking any further. 
The chaplain looked at the officer with a look of confusion. No, no, no. Trust me, you don't want to go up there. The officer said. I just want to pray over the bodies in the nose. I'll be on my way and out of your hair in just a moment. The chaplain defended as he tried walking forward again, but to no avail. No, chaplain. You don't understand. There is no bodies for you to pray over. Okay? So, if you take my advice, I suggest that you just go and find other people to tend to. The chaplain stared at the officer for a few seconds and didn't know how to respond. But once the officer saw that the sincerity and the innocence that the chaplain had in his eyes, he lowered his arm and said, But, uh, <clears throat> chaplain, listen, if you go ahead and go do your thing. It's not pretty up there, okay? So, just, I forewarned you. The chaplain was stunned by the officer's words and proceeded to look around the small cramped room and saw the faces of all the men looking right at him. Most of them looked indifferent, which surprised the chaplain more than anything else. Looking back at the officer, he told him, thank you, and proceeded to walk towards the front of the plane. As he made his way under the cockpit and down the crawl space that gave access to the nose hatch and the nose compartment, he softly prayed to God, asking him for strength and courage. As he entered the nose compartment, he felt the cold air rushing into the blown open section of the plane. He didn't want to look around the room, so he kept his eyes closed and prayed over the two lives that were lost. After he finished his prayer, he kept his eyes closed for a moment and began an inner battle to open his eyes to expose himself to the reality of this war. He thought to himself that if he could bring himself to see this carnage, that maybe he would become numb to it over time, and that he would be able to perform better as a chaplain and not be so stunned at the things that he was seeing. After debating with himself internally for about a minute, he forced himself to open his eyes and look around the blood-stained room. Not long after, the chaplain exited through the nose hatch and landed in the grass. Slowly gathering himself, he took in a deep breath and fought the urge to vomit. Taking out a cigarette from his chest pocket, he tried to light it, but his hand was shaking too bad for him to get a good light. That's when it occurred to him that now there were two other planes with wounded men aboard that had landed and that he needed to attend to. So throwing the cigarette on the ground, he put the lighter in his pant pocket and began making his way to the other planes in order to attend to the other men. <laughs>